0: Welcome back. The final segment of a Joe Beamer-hosted hardline for two weeks. And, uh, you know, then we'll be back. And um, I won't say back and better than ever. We'll just be back in two weeks. And for this final segment, who better to, to bring in than Deputy Washington Bureau Chief Dave Leventhal from the Business Insider. Dave, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Uh,
1: happy Super Bowl Sunday. A Sunday I wish I was in uh, Los Angeles, for example, as opposed to Washington, D.C., but here we all are, Joe Beamer.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, happy might be the the wrong word to use, but I'm looking forward to next year when the Waste Management Open is 35 minutes away from the Super Bowl. I mean, can you think of a better weekend? <laughs> no,
1: not at all, uh, but I, I do as many Buffalonians do, have very, very high hopes for
0: the Bill's future, no doubt. I, I sure do as well, Dave. Well, you know, uh, looking nationally, um, yesterday, President Biden was on the phone with Vladimir Putin. Uh, what did we hear of this uh, phone, phone conversation? Well, first, how long was it and what did we hear of this phone conversation?
1: It was about an hour long phone call, and news broke uh, just before it happened that uh, it was going to happen. obviously, incredibly high stakes here, given the fact that Russia has mobilized uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of troops uh, in the land surrounding three sides of uh, of Ukraine uh, in the seas, uh, militarily and navy wise. Uh, Around Ukraine as well. So, what we know of the call, and of course, we don't get a transcript of the call, is that not a lot of progress happened really, any which way, one way or another. Things still stand largely where they did before the call, which is with Joe Biden and the United States government saying, look, if you invade Ukraine, there are going to be incredibly severe non-military, and I should underscore that, non-military consequences that it could include uh, very damaging sanctions and uh, otherwise an isolation by the United States and its allies. And, uh, and of course, what we know from what Vladimir Putin said, uh, they've effectively maintained that uh, they are going to do what they want to do. They try to uh, kind of angle for concessions such as the United States guaranteeing that Ukraine would not have become a member of uh, NATO and receive the full rights and protections of a NATO, NATO member. So uh, we we have now Joe Biden having another call with uh, the president of Ukraine coming up. Uh, so we, we've got a very, very tense weekend on the international front. And of course, our conversations are oftentimes so dominated by domestic issues. And it seems like everything is turning up international this weekend.
0: That's right, Dave. And uh, so, you know, it's these phone calls, they happen. We've seen it with every president. Um, But like you said, it's it's not much uh, progress was made. So when do we think or where do we think anything will happen? Do we think there's still that chance that nothing happens?
1: There, of course, is a chance that nothing will happen. And there's actually a debate between the United States government and Ukraine's government as to the risk factors here. united states seems to think based on its intelligence at least what it's said publicly that there is a significant risk of there being military action by russia against ukraine and that it could happen within days it could happen within the olympics a lot of people thinking that well maybe russia's gonna wait until the olympics are over well the united states uh, seems to dispute that at least at this point that it could happen uh, even during that Uh, ukraine on the other hand is saying Hold up, wait a second. we We don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. and yes, this is a serious situation, but we don't believe that an attack is imminent. And of course, they have uh, other concerns uh, such as uh, creating panic uh, in chaos within their own country, the the economy of Ukraine falling apart as a result of the fear that, This could be stoking. So we we have, of course, geopolitical concerns here, but Ukraine has its own domestic concerns here that it's uh, trying to take care of in a very, very tenuous situation. When I should note, the United States is uh, is basically evacuating uh, all of its folks, except the most, most uh, central diplomats uh, from Ukraine and otherwise uh, urging any Americans to uh, to leave the country. So that if something does happen militarily, that they are not going to be directly in harm's way.
0: Now, uh, we, we, we spoke about President Joe Biden, as we know, he's up for reelection if he runs in 2024. Uh, interesting, though, this week, and, and you know, with, with social media, Dave, I don't know how to take this news. I don't know how to, uh, to accept it, to put it to the side. But uh, it seems as if there is a former presidential competitor from 2016 who might be making her case to run on the Democrat ticket in 2024.
1: Well, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's name does come up from time to time. Now, at this point in time, the likelihood—and we, and we are we are talking here today in February of 2022—the likelihood of Hillary Clinton running again and becoming the Democratic nominee, uh, I, I would I would say objectively, is extremely remote. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, if Joe Biden does run for a second term, which he said that. He has never said that he is going to not do that. Uh, then he's going to run for a second term. And, and that's the end of the story. Uh, there are also several other people who are uh, actively in politics right now, including Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, Treasury Secretary Pete Buttigieg, uh, among some others that we could name, who would seem to be very, very much uh, at the forefront of Democratic politics, uh, in, who would run for president if Joe Biden decides not to. Hillary Clinton has run twice. She has lost twice. So for a lot of Democrats, she is old news. And uh, people would be very, very uh, resistant to her mounting a, a third bid, especially when, uh, when she hasn't had success the first two tries. And there are other younger, um, more active politicians uh, on the Democratic side who could do this. So bottom line, it, it's fun to talk about. It's a great parlor game. But uh, I, I don't know if the hype is really meeting up with the reality at this point.
0: I'll tell you, Dave, I don't care where anyone stands politically. I'm not sure we're ready for Trump versus Clinton, part two.
1: <laughs> uh, you you, and a lot of other people. And, you know, this really joke kind of goes and, and speaks to what, what's happening definitely on the Republican side of the aisle and, and to some extent. And, and you brought up Hillary Clinton as, as a perfect example where you oftentimes have people uh, in the context of talking about, 2022 and 2024, the midterm election and the presidential race, kind of pointing the arrow 180 in the opposite direction and starting to relitigate 2020 or even 2016. So that oftentimes is not going to be a winning message for most Americans, regardless of where their politics are. It definitely will captivate some. We all love to do the nostalgia thing, but ultimately, it's going to come down to, in most elections, What do we need now? What what are the key issues that are facing Americans at this moment and not worrying so much about what happened four years ago or six years ago?
0: Dave, another thing that we are seeing, speaking of Hillary versus Trump, uh, we can also talk of former President Trump and current President Joe Biden. You know, I'm looking at these congressional, this is something you and I have commented on before. I'm looking at these congressional races and especially in swing districts. It seems like those candidates on the left for Democrats, the right for Republicans in swing districts, uh, they're kind of pulling the Glenn Youngkin. They don't want anything to do with either Joe Biden or Donald Trump when it comes to campaigning.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right. And uh, for a lot of them. Now, that's not the case for all of them. And it's interesting. We at uh, Insider just reported a couple of days ago that Donald Trump had made his 100th endorsement of a 2022 midterm congressional candidate or other candidates who, who are running this time around. So it definitely still shows that uh, Trump has incredible sway in the Republican Party. He is still wildly popular among most Republicans. And if you look at the polls that that, uh, you know, those polls support that notion. That being said, uh, Donald Trump's numbers are not where they used to be. Okay, so even though his popularity remains high, it is waning. And there are definitely cracks that are appearing within the Republican Party itself, led by uh, nobody less than uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, who are indicating telegraphing and, and otherwise underscoring that the, the republican party needs to think beyond donald trump and that donald trump is not necessarily the best standard bearer for the country that donald trump should not run for president in 2024 so there's this uh, you know very very curious subplot that's going on increasingly in the republican party and it's not coming from the usual sources like a liz cheney or an Adam Kinzinger, the the two members of Congress who are very anti-Trump. It's coming from other party standard bearers, uh, people who have actual power and who lead the U.S. Senate, for example. And, uh, you know, a lot of this was really put into sharp relief when the Republican National Committee just a few days ago um, moved to censure Kinzinger and, and Liz Cheney. And that that upset uh, some some very very old hand Republicans, including McConnell, who basically said, you know, we're we're eating our own here. You know, what what are we doing? This is not going to be helpful, and this is not going to help us in a uh, an electoral con- uh, context in in 2022 when Republicans absolutely have a, a not just legitimate chance, but a very very real and present chance of winning either the House or the Senate or both, and in taking control of both sides of Congress. At a time when democrats control the white house so lots of uh political intrigue here going on right now uh, with, with no easy answer for republicans at least at this point
0: dave uh, you guys are doing a uh, a series over there at business insider and before we get into that i i want to talk about uh, well we are talking about that the uh the trading stocks the banning congress from trading stocks i've been i'm very interested in the last i don't know if it's been weeks or months you're starting to see uh, people in congress uh, go you know kind of do a 180 on where they stand on members of congress trading stocks
1: we published a project at insider called conflicted congress we published it in mid december and uh, in the midst of this project publishing and mind you we we published a, about 2 dozen stories and data visualizations and interactives and we asked House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a couple of days after our first articles published, should members of Congress be allowed to trade stocks? Because we had found there being numerous examples, dozens and dozens of examples of members of Congress who were violating a federal law that is supposed to defend against conflicts of interest and otherwise provide the public transparency on the personal investments of public officials. And also found numerous conflicts of interest coming from both Democrats and Republicans, where, for example, you would have members of the House Armed Services Committee who uh, have incredible amounts of control over defense policy in the country, trading, buying, selling stock in Boeing and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and General Dynamics, defense contractors who buy for billions of dollars worth of defense contracts. So back to Nancy Pelosi, uh, she said at the time, And I paraphrase. Well, it's a free market economy, and members of Congress should be able to participate in that. When we put the question to her of whether members should be able to trade stocks, so a very strange coalition of Republicans and Democrats began to really coalesce around this. You had Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Elizabeth Warren, for example, on the left, and. Senator Josh Hawley, and even then Donald Trump on the right, all basically saying the same thing, which is that this is crazy. Members of Congress should not be able to buy and sell stocks while they're members of Congress because it poses a real or a perceived conflict of interest that Congress shouldn't have because they're privy to lots of insider information. And they go to classified briefings and and know lots and lots of stuff about the economy or even individual industries or companies that average Americans don't. So therefore, they should not be able to profit on this. So flash forward to today, Joe, and and basically what we have is we have all four leaders, top leaders of Congress, Nancy Pelosi now, who has changed her view, at least to some degree, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, and Chuck Schumer, uh, basically saying that they are open to an actual ban. So the fact that this is a now very bipartisan issue and that it's actually moving forward to and working groups and House committees uh, is a, a monumental change after this issue had largely been you know, dead up until December.
0: Now, you've rated every member of Congress, and obviously, we want we want people to go and read it. Uh, but can you give us an idea of where some of our members of Congress might stand on this list?
1: Sure. Well, uh, we, you, you are absolutely right. We we uh, <laughs> created a methodology where we rated every single member of Congress from the far left to the far right, and everyone in between uh, to indicate whether they were adhering to current laws on the books and otherwise avoiding conflicts of interest in their activities. So what we have found, uh, first of all, is that, uh, let's go super local, Representative Brian Higgins, a Democrat, uh, he had had some issues. Uh, He violated what's called the Stop Trading On congressional knowledge act of 2012 by having some late disclosures Uh, so definitely uh you know an issue for him chuck schumer we gave a uh a yellow grade we graded everyone green for solid yellow for caution and red for danger and chuck schumer uh got a yellow grade as well so uh you know there have definitely been some local new york politicians uh, who do not have a perfect record on this and if you go across the country too Uh, You know, it was uh, it was almost 50 50 when it came to Democrats and Republicans uh, who did not get a a perfect grade or a good grade. in in the green zone, uh, when it came to them falling short of, mind you, the own law that they had created for themselves, because Congress, when it comes to the enforcement of this Stock Act law, the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act law, they are their own cop on the beat. They are their own referee. They set the rules up themselves. And, you know, we've shown through our reporting that in many, many cases, time and again, including both members of Congress and also to a couple hundred senior level staff members in Congress who are top aides to members of Congress, they too have fallen short of the standard that Congress has set for itself.
0: It is interesting, looking through this, uh, Dave, that the members that, you know, have a few uh, few violations are the members that are still on the side of, well, we sh- we can't ban uh, members of Congress from uh, tr- uh, stock trading. I-, I did find that interesting.
1: Yeah, And you know, about roughly speaking about half the members of Congress uh, trade individual stocks, um, the other half, either don't trade any stocks at all or keep them in mutual funds or exchange-traded funds where, um, just by the nature of those types of investments, they, they don't have a, uh, a direct say in what companies are being bought and sold. Uh, and, and most members of Congress see mutual funds, for example, uh, you know, being very conservative uh, in, in a small-c sort of sense and uh, in, in basically allowing members of Congress to avoid conflicts of interest. Uh, but, yeah, for we've talked to, you know, literally hundreds of members of Congress uh, about this and communicated with their offices. And there are still uh, some who say, no, uh, this is this is a bad idea to ban members of Congress from trading stocks. Uh, We we shouldn't do it. And it comes from the Republican side. I can think of Pete Sessions, a representative from Texas, Republican, uh, who is very anti-stock trade ban, And uh, Elaine Luria, a Democrat from Virginia, who just came out and said that this idea – and she used a word we cannot say on radio to describe what she thought of this particular (laughs) idea. So you're definitely getting some members who are active traders saying, no, 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 we should not do this. We need to stop. We need to think about it, which, you know, for uh, those who support this uh, idea, really see that as uh, evidence that uh, they need to ban this activity all the more for fear that certain members of Congress are acting in their own personal financial interests ahead of what ostensibly would be the public interest uh, by virtue of them being an elected member uh, of Congress and serving up on Capitol Hill on behalf of their constituency.
0: Dave, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here, and I apologize. Uh, but you know, some people maybe um, may, may like to know that there are still nomination hearings going on. And since I do work in a FCC-regulated radio station, I have kept my eye on the FCC nominee hearing. This is a, a bit of a controversial um, nominee that they are hearing from right now. Correct.
1: Uh, it is. And uh, mind you, I, uh, I, I will not be able to hit your curveball out of the park and uh, that I haven't been following the issue closely. But it definitely, you know, underscores what uh, is not just a thing in isolation for Joe Biden, but uh, something across the board, which is pushing nominees through a oftentimes very reluctant Senate uh, because, well, we've got a couple of things going on here. Number one, as we all know, it's a 50-50 divided Senate. The Democrats have the majority um, basically because they have the White House and Kamala Harris as vice president uh, can cast tie-breaking votes. But whether it's the SEC, the FCC, uh, the FEC, uh, in many other letter agencies, including judicial appointments, which uh, we are going to get a real ride very soon when we have Joe Biden's first Supreme Court nominee coming before the Senate, uh, these can be very, very controversial. And uh, it's something where Republicans, if they want to just completely uh, vote in line and in lockstep, uh, can block nominations, especially when the Democrats don't fully have their house in order, so to speak. And you have senators such as uh, uh, Kirsten Sinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who are Democrats but oftentimes will vote against party orthodoxy, you got to get to 50 somehow. And uh, that's becoming very difficult for Joe Biden, who still has some uh, some key vacancies uh, that he has to fill,
0: and you brought up one of them. Dave, Super Bowl Sunday, what, uh, do you have a rooting interest in the game tonight? I mean, I'm a Bills
1: fan, so I, I don't have a, a rooting interest except for the Buffalo Bills. But that all being said, I, I would I would like to see... The Cincinnati Bengals win. Uh-huh. Let's remember that the Cincinnati Bengals and Andy Dalton and, and and the team four years ago did Buffalo the the ultimate solid by uh, in the most improbable fashion, scoring a uh, fourth and twelve touchdown at the end of the game against the Baltimore Ravens to propel the Bills, who won that day, into the playoffs for the first time in seventeen years. So That's a good point. That is something that will live on in the hearts of all of us for a long time and. and, and For that alone, I'd love to see it. And also I should note that uh, my fellow Kemmer West graduate uh, friend and and just a wonderful guy, Jim McNally, uh, who served as Buffalo Bills uh, offensive line coach uh, for several years as well, uh, is a Cincinnati Bengals guy through and through, still advising the team. I think at the tender age of Jim is 77, 78, uh, and is out there right now. So I, I would love to see Jim win a Super Bowl as
0: well. So we, we heard from uh, District Attorney John Flynn. He's rooting for the Rams because he doesn't want uh, Burrow to get a Super Bowl before Allen. He doesn't want that discussion to even happen. Um, and Matthew Stafford winning a Super Bowl. And we've got Dave Leventhal uh, for Cincinnati. And Councilmember Joe Golombek said he just wants his squares to hit. So those were the, uh, those were the, the predictions today on Hardline. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Dave. Hey, well, enjoy the game. I know it won't be as much enjoy enjoyment if those 13 seconds happened a little differently, but you know that's for a different show and a different uh, topic. Uh, Dave, for the second time in a row, you are my last guest before a two-week hiatus. I thank you.
1: You're you're welcome. And hey, go Bills. Go go Bills now. Go Bills in the future. And and. Let's, uh, let's have a good conversation of another sort about a year from
0: now. I, I hope so. Dave, I hope uh, a year from now, the show's not on the air because we're at the Super Bowl. Uh,
1: you, you're, your thoughts and mine exactly, Jim.
0: Thank you. That is Dave Leventhal from Business Insider. And that is Hardline for Sunday, February 13th. I hope you enjoy your afternoon. Enjoyed watching the game. If you're going to a party, get uh, having a get-together, have fun, enjoy it. Tomorrow, enjoy your Valentine's Day. Enjoy your time with that special someone, and you'll be able to hear me tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Part of Beamaz and Beamer here on News Radio nine thirty. Oh, Tom Barrowley returns tomorrow at two o'clock. So uh, uh, it, w- it was a pleasure to fill in for Tom for a week and a half, but Tom is back tomorrow at two o'clock. You won't want to miss that. The the schedule, a regular schedule tomorrow, starting at five a.m. with a new morning. BMAS and b 9, Bellavia 10-2, Bowerly 2-6, Puckett 6-7. We'll see you then on WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.